Once again, it's our special honor to introduce our evening speaker for this third evening of our 2017 Carolina Camp Meeting at Lake Junaluska. Elder Don Livesey is the president of the Lake Union Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Churches, encompassing the five states around Lake Michigan. His messages this week have coincided with our theme, sharing him no matter what the circumstances. Life is filled with challenges. And even in the midst of those challenges, God has a plan for each of us to share him. On Sunday, we were blessed with lessons from the life of Moses, who took the high road as his calling of God's leader, even though he faced the consequences and disappointment of his misstep at the rock. Last night, I was picturing in my mind an amazing picture that he painted for us as evidenced in the life of Stephen. In my mind, I was picturing that scene that Elder Livesey presented to us of Stephen going to his neighbor's house and seeing Saul, who is now Paul. Can you just picture that moment when both of them embrace and when Stephen truly realizes the fulfillment of his prayer when he asked the Lord not to charge him with this sin. What a scene that will be. In tonight's message entitled, Sharing Him Through the Fire, I invite Pastor Don to come up here as once again we pray for him and we pray for each of us as we sing our song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Us. O oh God, our Father in heaven, tonight, as Pastor Don opens up your word, bless him with your embrace and the power and presence of your spirit as he speaks to us about this very important topic of sharing Christ through the fire. Lord, we are not only praying for him, but we are praying that our hearts will be receptive. And for that purpose, Lord, we sing this prayer song. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, Fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me and fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen. Perceptions are important. For a number of years, my perception of the leadership of the Carolina Conference has been that these are godly, vision-filled, spirit-filled, people-loving leaders. 
And that perception is strong. And since coming onto this campus, that perception has been quantified. I have enough exposure to leaders across North America to have some opinions of how things are and should be. And you have something special here. And I hope that you will, uh, without puffing anybody's head up, I hope that you will legitimately keep your leaders in prayer and let them know that you appreciate the great sacrifice they make. Sometimes people think being a conference president is just such a wonderful thing. And it is a wonderful thing, but it comes at a personal price. So thank you for who you are and being a part of a conference that supports leadership like you have. I just had to say that. And they didn't pay me either. Our message tonight comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. I actually have another title for this sermon, but I, I, I modified it to fit our, our theme. But the, the other title for this sermon is Faith, Fire, and Tupperware. I'll get to the Tupperware a little later. So we all know what the scene is here, don't we? The plain of Dura. Nebuchadnezzar has had the dream. He's threatened to kill all of his wise men. Daniel comes through with the interpretation of the dream, the image, the parts of the image. And we as Adventists love Daniel 1, 2, and 3. We preach it because it helps to validate what the Scripture is about and that the Scripture is real. And so evangelists have been preaching about the image of Daniel for many, many years. And it's a valid topic to preach about. But leadership... Folks, leadership is a very dangerous place to be. Because there are things about leadership that take the heart, that take the mind away from God and tends to bring it back to self. And Nebuchadnezzar succumbed to this. The more power, the more dangerous. The more authority, the more dangerous. The more influence, the more dangerous a leadership position is and can be. And Nebuchadnezzar begins to bring this around to himself and sets up the image, golden image, that this is his kingdom that will last forever, even though he knows that is counter to the word of God. There are some historians who believe that there was an uprising maybe about this time in, in the Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And that, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to solidify himself as leader because this, this rebellion. And, and folks, uh, they, didn't, they didn't just tell the leader to go somewhere and take a vacation. They killed him. So it was a tenuous position to be in. And so some wonder if maybe this image is something that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do because he calls 
all of the leaders from his kingdom together. And he coerces them to pay homage to him. Compliance is a frightening thing. Commitment is a beautiful thing. And whenever we try to get people to comply, we in fact are doing just the opposite of what we're trying to get done. Compliance does not get it. Commitment does. He's looking for commitment. So, we see this amazing process here at the Plain of Dura. Maybe some of you have had the opportunity of being in the desert at sunrise. There's a clarity to a dry climate. The pristine, stark reality of the landscape is clear. Things contrast in a beautiful, amazing way. And if you can imagine an image that is somewhere in the range of 103 feet tall that is golden and catching the glint of the sun. And as last night, I'll use a little imagination, I'm fairly sure that the king had a special place for himself to sit. A place with banners and tapestries and the accoutrements of leadership and there, Nebuchadnezzar had brought all of these people together to worship the golden image that he had set up. Now, verse 4 of chapter 3, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, you are to fall down, and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, archaeologists have uncovered in this area pyramids that are made of brick. And so it's very logical to think that bricks were used in the construction of this image. Maybe the base, maybe part of the body, we don't know exactly, but bricks are probably a very real reality in this time frame. And there were probably some kilns there that had been used to fire the brick. And we also know that in the eastern regions there, Middle Eastern regions, oil is fairly plentiful. And in fact, history has told us that there were places that they would actually find pools of oil on the top of the ground. And you mix oil with chaff, you can make a pretty hot fire. So it is very possible that there were kilns there, maybe puffing a little smoke, because the implicit reality, if you do not bow down, was fire. So picture that, if you would, and picture what it would have been like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing there in that crowd. Would that have been intimidating? My, it would have been intimidating. All of these leaders from all over the world were there. They were there to comply with Nebuchadnezzar, and their very lives were at stake. Folks, character 
a great, a great illustration of character is that you will do the right thing even at personal cost. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were used to doing the right thing. After all, we, we think of sometimes their early experience of the food that was brought to them when they first arrived, and we think of, well, that was kind of a minor test, but let's just think about that for a moment. You are brought across a desert from your homeland into a foreign land, and slave labor is the norm of the day. Slaves do not get it easy. But all of a sudden, they find themselves in the king's palace. They find themselves in a much easier lifestyle than they might have expected. And here this first test comes. So, am I going to avoid eating the king's food and go back into the slave workforce? Or am I going to try to stay here where it's a whole lot easier and our lives might actually be a little less in danger? So they made a major decision at that point. It was a decision that was probably a linear process that they had learned through life. And that's one of the reasons why Adventist education is important. Character building all the way through in ways and means and intensities that simply don't happen in other places as well. And so for any of us here who are supporting kids that are not our own, that's a pretty amazing investment. And thank you for what you are doing. So the music plays. In my mind's eye, when the music played, everybody hit the deck similar to if a machine gun was going off. Boom, down on the deck. It might have even raised a little dust in the air as that massive congregation went down. And nobody wanted to have anything sticking up high to be picked out because they weren't low enough worshiping. They were flat on the ground. If you had been there, full. Because you see, whenever you stand for right, there will be those who want to call you down. Especially if you have some position and authority. And you better believe there was some jealousy going on in the ranks in the Babylonian king. That these three Hebrews had position. And it wasn't long until those kinds of people, therefore, in verse 8, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. O oh, king, live forever. You have made a decree and blah, 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 blah. And there are certain people who have not bowed down and worshipped the golden image. So, the scriptures tells us, verse 13... Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage. I don't like to make policemen at a traffic stop get angry. I, I just want them to be as happy as they can be. Let alone a ruler who could take your life just like that. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And when they brought them before the king, Nebuchadnezzar said... Is it true, O Shadrach, 
Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up now. This is fascinating. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of all the instruments listed here and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image which I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is a God that will deliver you out of my hands? How many times have we heard the word immediately now? Two times. He's now giving them a what? A second chance. Why would Nebuchadnezzar do such a thing? If these had been the kind of people serving in his court who were not faithful, who were not trustworthy, who were not valuable as they represented the God of heaven, would he be giving them a second chance? A few years ago, at the North American Division year-end meeting, I heard an attorney, Phil Hiroshima from California, make a presentation. And the, the, my takeaway on that is simply this. We in the church sell two things. We in leadership sell two things. Number one is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Would we agree with that? Number two trust. Do we recognize how important trust is? Trust means that a person can be counted on to do the right thing all the time. But I would suggest to you that just doing the right thing is not enough. It occurred some years ago that there was more to it than that. We must always strive to do the right thing in the right way, at the right time, and for the right reason. Let's unpack that just a little bit. The Scripture is full of principles. The Scripture is full of directives. It is full of information about the will of God of what the right thing is. But, folks, I have seen people do the right thing in ways that damage the credibility of God in the eyes of people. And so we must do the right thing in the right way, with love, with care, with fairness, and with thought. When Nathan came to David and accused him, he didn't just blurt it out. He prepared, and he came to David seeking to have a spiritual outcome that was appropriate for David and the kingdom. So we need to do the right thing in the right way. And then the third one, in my opinion, Rely, must rely on the Holy Spirit even more than the other two at the right time. Because timing is very, very important. After all, men, the first time we kissed our wives, wasn't the timing kind of important? Some of us messed it up and some of us got it right. 
First kiss with Barbara, I put my arms around her, picked her up and kissed her. Every vertebrae in her back popped. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite as I expected, but it was still the right time. So timing, folks, is important. And the beautiful thing is that God will send praying people signals about the right time. If we have straying people in our family, our church, in our community, at work or whatever, God, if we pray, will send us the signals about when that should happen. And then finally, the last one, and for the right reason. Not only should we think about what the reason is that we're doing things, making sure it's not about us. Sometimes we can get intimidated, we can get attacked, we can be discredited, and we can start doing things for the wrong reason. But it always must be in a godly way because God's way is always about someone else. Even when God calls himself a jealous God, he is jealous about your well-being and mine. So we must think about doing things for the right reason. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel had the trust of the king. And who in a workplace, who in a community, in a school, in, in a family should be more trusted than a son or daughter of God? And so Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. Then, in verse 16, I think we hear and see here one of the greatest statements of faith in all Scripture. Now, isn't the Bible full of wonderful statements of faith? Oh, my, it is just beautiful all the way through Scripture of the incredible statements of faith that people have both said and practiced in their lives. But please listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Otherwise, they don't have to think about it. They don't have to consider the implications of what will or could happen. They already know what the right thing is. Their character says, we will do the right thing even if it means to die so they don't have to think about it. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, is that faith or what? Folks, standing right there before the king, soldiers all around, belching furnaces with hot fire in them, they are saying, we will do the right thing, and our God will deliver us. But is this the entire statement? It is not. But if not, is their faith wavering? No, it is not. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. Faith. is not attempting to get God to do what you want him to do. 
You ever hear people do that? Faith, on the other hand, is trusting in God, period. As the English might say in the old uh, telegraph days, full stop. I'm going to say that again because it's really, really important, folks, that we understand this. Faith is not attempting to get God to do what you want him to do. Do we understand that? Faith, on the other hand, is trusting in God no matter what. So I want to talk a few moments about faith. Because there are faith busters that are around. One faith buster is to undermine the credibility and authority of Scripture. Folks, that's why in Christian education, we know it's so important to teach creation. There is so much that is tied to creation and the biblical narrative of creation, but there are those outside the church and even some occasionally inside the church who would undermine the authority of Scripture. And when that happens, the biggest, the biggest issue here is not whether you believe this or that. The thing that's the biggest issue for me is that when faith is undermined, and when that happens, the devil has a clear pathway to all kinds of evil things in the heart. But I would also suggest to you another undermining faith factor are those who are dissident to the faith of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that people should not hold conference presidents and union presidents and beyond accountable. We need to be accountable to the cause of God and to the people we serve. That's just a fact, folks. We should never think that we're above anything. And servant leadership says that we should be accountable. We're not talking, when I say dissonant, about that. I'm talking about those who run around undermining the people of God in lots of ways, and they don't even know what they're talking about. I receive all kinds of information from people who have read something on a website, and they are taking it for gospel truth. And they're hitting the forward button to others. Dissidence also undermines faith. We must be so careful because you know, you know when you've heard half the story? How much of the story have you heard? Half the story. And faith can be undermined. Disaster can undermine faith. In 1983, and there are some friends here who were around when I was diagnosed with cancer. All the tests, the scans, and they decided that there was a, a large tumor in the mediastinum of my chest. And I remember laying in the hospital bed one night, and the back door of my soul was pushed open, 
and the great evil one slithered in. And the great evil one said, here you are serving the Lord. You have two young daughters, a wonderful wife, and, and your life is now in danger. And it could have been a temptation to accuse God. Because you see, folks, we as Seventh-day Adventists, and I've touched on this before, I'm going to hit it again tonight. We understand where sin came from. Do we not? Sin was born in the heart of a leader in heaven, Lucifer. And ever since sin has been around, there has been pain, sorrow, death, suffering. And it's all because of the evil one. Do we understand that? But the evil one will bring all of those things on us. And then he attempts to get us to blame God. Well, God didn't do that. Where all? And we can quickly descend into a faith-weakening position. But we need to understand what the Scripture tells us, that God is the Savior, Satan is the destroyer, and we need to keep that understanding separate. And so I was pleased, blessed, happy, and helped because... The scripture tells us, and we as a church teach about the character of God, and I didn't have to go there. But folks, when we go there, and if we go there, we give Satan a double victory. He hurts us, and then he takes us from God. We must never allow Satan to have that victory. Now, here's an extension to that. Here's where the Tupperware comes in. I hope you'll just, just bear with me as I take a little side trip here. But I'm going somewhere with it. So, anybody here have Tupperware in your house? Or Okay, so got a few people. Some are admitting it and some are not. <laughs> so, you remember the Tupperware parties? And uh, some of us are old enough for that. And so so they would tell you need to buy this product because it will do what with your food? It will keep your food fresh. Okay, there we go. Okay. Some of us have a little memory of the Tupperware party. And, and so that was the theme of why you should buy Tupperware. But I'm, I'm just here to tell you that's not the reason that people buy Tupperware. People buy Tupperware to relieve guilt. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Because don't you feel guilty throwing good food away? Oh, you should. You should feel really, really guilty when you throw good food away. I mean, there are people starving in this world and, and they just wouldn't understand. But if you put that food in Tupperware for three or four weeks, <laughs> and you go into your refrigerator and you open that container and whoo, and you're not even sure what it is anymore, then do you feel guilty throwing it away? 
I rest my case. People buy Tupperware to relieve guilt. But did you know that there is spiritual Tupperware? If I could spend time with every one of you, and that would be a wonderful blessing, and hear your story, I would hear about painful parts of your life. Would I not? Because the simple reality in a sinful world that you either have, are, or will, or all of the above, go through a painful experience in life. And I submit to you that the most painful expression that we can endure in life is rejection. You may want to argue with me with that, but I'm going to stand on that. Because any of us who have felt rejection know the pain that it creates. And there are people who take that pain and they store it in spiritual Tupperware. And I've never yet seen that kind of pain get better with storage. It tends to get more rancid and ugly and soupy and stinky with time. But the beautiful thing is that your Lord and Savior is standing at the kitchen sink. And he's got the faucet running. And he's got, he's got his hand on the switch of the garbage disposal. And he is saying to you tonight, if he's not already said it, bring me your spiritual Tupperware. And I will empty it out because I went through the ultimate rejection so that you might live. Jesus understands your pain more than you do. And he is saying to you, do not allow that to fester to get worse because it will erode your faith and your experience with God. Bitterness will set in and the devil will have a victory. Guilt is why you have Tupperware. So the scripture says, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he ordered strong men to bind the three Hebrews and throw them into the fire. Now, I, I have to picture this a little bit because the, the, we all know radiant heat and how intense it can be. So the guards must have been hunkered down behind the three Hebrews as they pushed them toward the opening of the furnace. And as they pushed them there, there was no more blocking of that radiant heat. Boom, they're dead. That's hot. The three Hebrews flew through the air the few feet into the, the fiery furnace. And a wonderful thing happened. 
they were still alive. Can you imagine approaching the heat and yet not being burned to fly into the furnace and to land at the bottom and to look around and say, I'm still alive, and to stand up. And I might have even said hallelujah at that point. But then we all know what happens. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he said to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And the, the counselors may have said, that's right, king, only three. Nobody else wanted to go. <laughs> but the king then says, but I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like what? The Son of God. It's really a fun thing to live near Nathan Green. Get to interact with Nathan Green from time to time. Great artist in the Adventist Church. We've probably most of us, if not all of us, have seen his depictions. And I've been in his studio, and he's just a godly man. He actually spends more time researching a picture than he does painting it because he wants to capture what their real scene should be. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't have Nathan Green or Harry Anderson or other artists who have depicted Jesus. He didn't even have the idea of what they thought Jesus looked, let alone anything. But here he spots the Son of God and he knows who it is. And how does he know? He's seen the image of God through those who serve him. The question is begged here. Who do people see when they look at us? Sometimes they just see us. Sometimes they may see the evil one. Hopefully all the time they see the presence of God and get a sense of what God is all about. That is witnessing through the fire. And the three Hebrews are brought out of the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar glorifies God because of them. Through the fire, God is glorified. In my mind, the three Hebrews were walking home together that night and they were talking. Shadrach, wasn't that amazing? I'll have to admit I was a little nervous when we stood there. I was a little nervous when I saw Nebuchadnezzar get so furious. Oh, Meshach, that was amazing. And we went into the fire. But aren't you so glad that we stood for God, because when we stood for God, he stood with us. 
I invite you always to stand for God in his character that those around us may see him through us. Father, I thank you that you are a God who takes us through anything that Satan may throw at us. But now we place ourselves in your hands, recognizing you are the one we can trust. And we ask only now that you will use us to help others have that same trust, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.